All right, good morning to all of you. It's a blessing to be with you again. I was blessed to hear the word spoken again. Thank you, Delwyn, for sharing and for you also. For the children's lesson there, brother, I was really blessed by that. <clears throat> I just want to say that I'm very thankful this morning for what Jesus has done for us. As I look outside and I think of the beautiful snow that covers the earth, I can't help but think of that verse or verses in Psalms 51 where it says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And uh, I'm very excited for uh, what the Lord has in store for us this new year. Um, Happy New Year to all of you. As we reminisce over 2020 and think of all the good things that God has done in our lives and the lessons we've learned, I hope it's our heart's desire and prayer that He would take us deeper in this next year of 2021 and that we can accomplish more for Him. Our goals and our ambitions could be in line with His will and His purposes. Our lives can bring glory to His name. <clears throat> so for a passage for my main text this morning, I'll ch- I chose Philippians chapter 2. You can turn there. I really like the book of Philippians. Philippians has, has so many practical things it talks about. <clears throat> chapter 2, where we're going to be it today, talks a lot about humility and having the mind of Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today. The title I gave the message is The Mind of Christ, or Having the Mind of Christ. And as we consider Christ and His earthly ministry, all the things He did and accomplished, His humility, His love that He demonstrated to all of humanity, the gospel, the kingdom that He preached to all, He was a remarkable man. He really was. And it should be our heart's desire to emulate Him in every area. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord's blessing upon the service here. Father, we pause here this morning. We thank you for this privilege we can have together in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, that we have the freedom in this land to worship you as we desire. Thank you, God, that we can be your holy, called-out people, endeavoring to bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, as we look now at these verses here in Philippians chapter 2, I pray you'd help us to see the mind of Christ, to see his humility, his condescension, His incarnation, His willingness to suffer, to be a servant, and to lay down His life for us so we could be redeemed from our sins and have hope of eternal life. Thank you. Lord, I pray you bless the preaching of your word today. I pray you give us all receptive hearts to hear it, Lord, and a willingness to make changes, practical changes in our lives as you lay your finger on different needs in our hearts. Thank you for each one here today. Bless us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll be looking primarily at the first part of the chapter. We'll read the first 11 verses and then we'll come back and we'll just go verse by verse and expound from that. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men." And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him 
and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in earth, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> Amen. It's a beautiful passage. Actually, when I was in Africa, I, I committed to memorizing this whole book. It took some time, but I really was blessed by doing that, just letting the Word of God be in my heart and mind in a rich way like that. <clears throat> but I, was, I marveled again and again as we look over this passage of Scripture at the beautiful example of Christ and His humility. And I marvel again and again to think of Him in His glorified state there with the Father from eternity past to the present and into eternity future. He, was with, I mean, he will be with the Father, but He was there from the eternity past and then because of our sinful condition, because of the curse that was brought upon the world, He willingly condescended and came from that glorious position in heaven to this sin-cursed world that was so full of suffering and pain to be tempted in all points like as we are, to associate Himself with humanity and then to ultimately give His life. <clears throat> That's very remarkable. And it's a tremendous example for us. We'll look now here at verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ. It's asking a question, but it's a rhetorical question. We all know the answer. Yes, of course. Of course there has been many consolations in Christ. Think for a moment of a time before Christ regenerated you when you had that guilt and condemnation on your heart. I can explicitly remember the time. I was only 11 years old, but Christ began to draw me. It was soon after... We had left the Mennonite church, and we began getting cassette uh, tapes, and we had a cassette player. We began to listen to some of the messages from Denny and Mose. And at a young age, 11 years of age, I began to feel the weight of my sin upon my heart and realize that I was in a lost condition, and I needed Christ to save me. And it's a, it's a, it's a feeling of condemnation when the sins of your youth or the sins of your life come to mind. You begin to realize, oh, I'm a sinner. I deserve wrath. I deserve punishment. And then to realize that Christ has been made the ultimate sacrifice. And then to come to Him in brokenness and repentance. I can clearly remember that night I was out doing the chores. I was feeding the cattle or watering them. I kind of forget what I was doing. But I remember feeling that weight of sin. I can remember clearly the things I'd done to my teacher, the inappropriate behavior I did at school. And I hadn't committed a lot of heinous sins against God, but yet they were there and they were very vivid in my mind. And I, I called out to God that night in repentance and you talk about consolation. That's a tremendous feeling of comfort to know your sins are forgiven and you're washed and made clean by the blood of the Lamb. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, I think we could all raise our hands here this morning and testify that we have been the recipient of all of these blessings. We have felt the consolation of Christ we have felt Him draw us into the Beloved and feel that as substance. We have felt the comfort of love. We have felt the, uh, the fellowship of the Spirit and bowels and mercies in our lives. If we have been the recipients of such marvelous blessings, is it not right and appropriate that we would dispense the same to others around us? That we would show that to our fellow man, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, those in our homes, our families, those in church, in our communities, if there be therefore any consolation, if these have been our experiences, then we have an obligation. Paul calls this now in the second verse. He says, fulfill ye my joy. 
You know, we know the heart of Paul. He had a heart for the churches. He said he cared for the churches very deeply. He prayed frequently for them, that they would be steadfast, uncompromising. They could be united. And he had a great desire to see that in in each one of the churches. And I'm sure it brought great joy to his heart to hear from each one of the churches and to see how they were progressing in their spiritual development, to see how they were going on deeper in their walk. And they were more unified as a body. I'm sure that brought great joy to the heart of Paul. But how much more joy would it bring to the heart of God if he saw that in our lives? If he saw the things that we're going to talk about here in the coming verses. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded. That you be like-minded. What is like? It's very clear to understand. To be of like mind. To be like-minded. In our day and time, like-mindedness is not very common. And there's a very much of an independent mentality in our day, in our society. People have their own beliefs. You often hear it when you talk to people. Well, you have your beliefs, that's how you believe, and I have mine. So more power to you. You can believe that way, no problem. But don't impose your beliefs on, my, on me. There's much division in our day and time. Even in, the, even in our country at this time, there's a lot of political divide. There's you know, the opposing party, the Democratic Party against the Republicans. You know, there's a lot of agenda behind each party, and there's just a lot of division. But in the church of Jesus Christ, it should be different. God calls us to unity, to like-mindedness. Let's turn real quick over to First um, Corinthians. We can look at a verse or a couple of verses there where it talks about unity. Paul was really desiring that for the Corinthian church. They were having struggles in their midst. They were saying, you know, well, I'm of Paul, and the others are saying, I'm of Apollos. And uh, there was division among them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Sometimes we ask ourselves the question, how do we become that? How do we become of the same mind and the same judgment? Because we all have... Different things that have shaped our worldview. We have slightly different interpretation of the scriptures sometimes. And how do we become of the same mind and the same judgment as what Paul was advocating here in 1 Corinthians? I submit to you that it takes a great measure of humility. And that's the thing that we're going to lift up high this morning is humility in the life of the believer. The subtitle I could give to the message today would be humility. Because as we see here in, in, the, in, second, in Philippians chapter 2, Christ demonstrated a tremendous level of humility in his condescension. And so we need that in order that we might be fitly framed together, be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. And that's what Paul was asking. He's, he's exhorting the church here at uh, Philippi to be of that, to be like-minded, to have the same love being of one accord and of one mind. And that's impossible unless we have humility in our lives. In Proverbs it says, only by pride come a contention. If there's pride in the heart, any one of our hearts, it's going to make it hard for us to be able to humble ourselves and see our brother's perspective and to be able to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God, as the Scripture calls us to do. In the recent weeks, God's been showing me um, of areas of pride in my heart, and I've been repenting of that. And I feel like this is something that God has been showing me in my life personally in the past weeks. 
we need humility in our lives. We can't lift humility up too high. It's absolutely essential. I really do believe, and I've heard this said from other people, other brothers of, um, of reputation, that um, oftentimes divisions and strife in a church does not come primarily from doctrinal differences, but it comes from relational challenges and from pride in the hearts of brothers. And I really have come to believe that is a big part. Not saying that's the only thing, but it plays a big part. But we're not humble enough to hear our brother's perspective. We're not humble to submit our... We need both. We need to hear the perspective. But at the end of the day, we who are younger, the Bible says, submit ourselves to the older. We need to have that heart of saying, well, I don't understand. I don't see that perspective. But I'm not going to become antagonistic and really assert my opinion to the point that it brings division in the body of Christ. There was something that happened in our church recently, a needy situation, and I've, we were talking about it at brothers' meeting, and, and uh, I really felt strongly regarding a certain approach, how this should be handled. I really did. I felt for the children. I felt like they were not being heard, and this and this. And, you know, I found myself taking on a perspective that was different than the general consensus of the brotherhood. And... Um, regarding this particular situation we were facing as a church. And, uh, you know, I felt it causing me to be divided from the body slightly. And I had to repent of that because at the end of the day, they were doing the best they knew. We were trying to work with this very difficult situation. And it wasn't the answers for the big problems were not easy to come by. And, you know, you have varied opinions and you share them and you share your perspective. But at the end of the day, when the decision's made, it's important for us that we come to a place of submission and embracing that decision, even though we, in our own mind, can't quite fully come there. And uh, by doing that, it's going to foster an environment where we can be of the same mind and the same judgment, that we can be like-minded and having the same love. Very, very important. And again, we can't overemphasize the need for humility and these things. <clears throat> so on to the next part of the verse, verse 2, having the same love. You know, I think, of, I think of the same love as being unpartial. You know, it's so easy for us as humans to favor a certain individual more. I kind of connect with this brother a little better than this brother, so I generally talk to that kind of person more. And so then we kind of have, it can be very easy to have cliques get established in the body of Christ and have those that we favor, those we connect with better. But we should have the same love, just as Christ had the same love for us. He was very, very impartial. God is no respecter of persons, the Bible says. Let's seek in our, our hearts and lives to have the same love one for another, being of one accord and of one mind. And it takes effort. It takes communication and it takes a lot of humility to do that. May God help us in this area. <clears throat> Let's go on to verse 3 now. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory. If we ever make comments that are derogatory and hurtful, that's very damaging to this thing of being unified, to being of one accord and of one mind. It's so easy to let that fleshly response come forth, that hurtful statement come out that brings damage and division in the church of Jesus Christ. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. 
And sometimes it's, sometimes it's not the things that we say, but the things that we don't say can also bring damage. <clears throat> Let's seek that nothing will be done through strife and vainglory. Are we trying to lift ourselves up? Or are we trying to edify our brother? If we're trying to assert ourselves as being some great one and putting our brother down, that's for vainglory. That's because of pride in our hearts and lives. Let nothing, absolutely nothing. Let's examine our lives and see. Are we ever making comments? Are we doing things? Is our, is our conduct demonstrating to others around us that we have strife in our hearts, that we have vainglory, or that pride is, is reigning there? If it is, let's deal with those issues of need in our lives. On to the next half. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's a high calling. It's so easy for us as men and women to think, well, you know, I think I have this gifting or I have this ability. And it's easy for us to look at the needs of others and say, you know, he's, coming, he's kind of coming up short in this area of his life. Let's not have that mentality. But let's endeavor, by the grace of God, to esteem others better than themselves. And that can be hard to do, especially if there's a certain person that continues to get under our skin. And we just wish uh, he would just comp- sanctify that area of the need in his life so that it would be easier to relate with him. It's so easy to kind of look down on others and think, ah, I wish he or she would be different in this area. I think I'm, I'm more sanctified in this area than he or she is. But let's not have that mindset. Let's look at others as better than ourselves. <clears throat> you know, I think of the, um, the uh, disciples of Jesus. As they were walking with him from time to time, they began to communicate among themselves. Who is the greatest? Who is the greatest among us? You know, and even at one time they asked, you know, I guess it was John or whoever it was, asked if the mother of the two disciples asked if they could set, you know, one at the right hand, the other on the left in Christ's kingdom, what did Christ say to them? He might quote it. Yeah, it's not for me to give. And later on he said, I think it was, he said, um, he that is, seeks to be the greatest must become the least. Or no, it was actually, no, I'm quoting it wrong. It was more like, um, in my kingdom, um, he that would be the greatest of all must become the servant of all. And we should not try to assert ourselves and who we are, but rather to become the servant of all, become the lowliest among us, and look not at ourselves but at others, and try to lift them up. You know, it's, it's amazing how in the world today, it's, it's malicious how people treat each other to try to get the upper hand. They are cruel one to another. They don't care to slander, to backbite, to do all kinds of malicious deeds, to try to put others down so that they can climb this ladder to success. But that should never happen in the truth of Jesus Christ. We should have humility in seeking to lift others up and be excited when others are honored. It says in the scripture that when one member suffers, all members should suffer with it. When one is honored, we should all be honored with it. We should rejoice in the fact that others are exalted and blessed and God is using them. If we have that kind of spirit, it will foster this very thing, this like-mindedness, of being of the same love and of the same mind. But if we have strife and vainglory, we will sow discord and division in the church of Jesus Christ. On to verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. This is so easy for us to do. Our lives can be so absorbed 
in our own interests and pursuits. You know, we're trying to make money to pay the bills and pay off the property. And, you know, there's another need in the church. And this brother has got, you know, a serious need in his life. But I don't have the time. I don't have the time to go and help with that need. There's needs in the community, but I don't have the time. I'm so busy with my own interests and pursuits, I don't have time. We're seeking to build our own kingdom too much, and we're not looking around to those around us. I feel God impressing on my heart the last few weeks to make changes in my life in this area too. And my, this past year has been very busy. We've had a very uh, busy summer, actually spring, summer, and fall with the, with the butchering and with the farming and then some composting. I just had a lot going on, plus having the children. My schedule is so busy, and there's, I know there's needs in the church. There's young men that need encouragement and discipleship in the church. But I find myself too busy. It's so easy for me to come home in the evening and, and to lay down on the floor with my little boys and play with them and just relax. And it's great to have a good family time, a family evening. But I think sometimes, what would Jesus say to me? Am I looking too much at my own things? Or am I looking at the things of others? There's so many people out there. They're hurting. They need encouragement. They need discipleship. But our lives are consumed with our own pursuits. And we're looking at our own things and not at the things of others. And sometimes I feel like my priorities are wrong. And I say, Lord, help me. That's been a prayer. It's been one of my New Year's resolutions to change my priorities and make Christ first and my family second and others third. I guess that's the right. I don't know if that's the right level or the right sequence of uh, priority. But that's, that's really what I want to do more. Because it's very important that we look at the things of others. <clears throat> you know, I hear people, young people say, I just wish I had friends that cared about me. I wish I had friends that could share with me and encourage me. And many of us are at that place. And the thing of it is, is if we're looking to others to do that for us, it's okay if we aren't really needy and needing encouragement. But how about we step out and make the first step and we start doing that for others, even though we might feel like we need it more than they do, and that we feel like we're more needy than them, yet if we step out in faith and start encouraging and blessing and uh, helping those along spiritually in their lives, I think it's gonna, it will find in our own hearts a tremendous blessing coming to ourselves. I have found again and again, and I found it, this to be true in my life in this past year with my busyness, as I mentioned earlier, but sometimes I feel like this, there's an emptiness there. You know, you do all these things, you accomplish all these physical things in your life, but at the end of the day, it's like, for what difference did it make in the kingdom of God? What difference did it make in the souls of men? And I found it to be so true that when I pour my energies into other things that pertain to the kingdom of God, there's a blessing that comes. There's a sense of satisfaction that will surpass any other satisfaction that you can gain in any other physical accomplishment in your life. So let's endeavor to do that. Not look at every man on his own things. You know, trying to amass wealth for ourselves or trying to get this and this accomplished so we can uh, be some great one. But let's look at the things of others. How can we encourage and bless and lift up our brother that's struggling? Wouldn't it be unfortunate if there would be some among us that feel like they're just neglected and they're not being helped and our lives are so busy that we can't reach out to the needs around us. May God help us not to be like that. <clears throat> Is there some water I could have? I notice there's no water here. <clears throat>
Okay, yes, thank you. <clears throat> On to verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Amen. Here we go into looking at the mind of Christ. We have verses of exhortation before this, and now we come into looking at the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind or mentality did he have? Well, it makes it very clear in the following verses. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So we know uh, Christ was with the Father. It says there in Genesis chapter 1, it says, Let us make man, there's a plurality there, let us make man in our our own image. Um, He was with the Father in eternity past. He had a glorious position there. It's hard for our minds to really comprehend what, what it would be like to be at a place where there's no curse, where there's no suffering, no pain, no difficulty, no sin. All those things completely gone. That's where Christ was. He was in a, a tremendous exalted position there with the Father. <clears throat> Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery. He didn't think it was rivalry to be called God or to be as God. He was one with the Father. So it wasn't like he had a lower position than, uh, than, uh, than God himself. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. You know, as we just came through Christmas, we are reminded again and again of the incarnation of Christ. His condescension, his incarnation. And that's a tremendous mystery. To think that the creator will become as one of the created. Think of that. It's hard for us to imagine. We sit here and we watch a little ant or ants run across the ground. It's hard for us to think that, some, you know, to become like an ant or some other little insect creature that scurries across the ground. Well, Christ's condescension from His glorious position in heaven was greater than for you and I to become like an ant or some other small insect. Because He knew exactly what was involved in every one of these steps of condescension. And as we go through here, you can see how He came to this level, and then He dropped to another level in another level, and just continue that condescension to the lowest, lowest of the low. And we know why he did it. It's clear to all of us why he did it. And we all worship him today with that tremendous expression of humility. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation... Made himself of no reputation. Let's think for a moment where Christ was born, to whom he was born, and to what situation he was born into. He wasn't born among the noble or the rich of his day. He was born among the poorest of the poor. He came from a state, a place that was so far beyond our comprehension that our minds can't wrap around it, that he came and was born in a lowly stable to Mary and Joseph. Very poor people that couldn't afford a lot of the comforts and conveniences of, it, of their day and time. And he took on him, of no, he, he made himself of no reputation. He could have chose to be born among the rich and to have you know, um, a good reputation in his day and time. To be highly respected for his education or his position in society. But he wasn't born among those kind of people. 
He was born among the poorest of the poor, and He made Himself a servant. And Christ has called us also to be His servants. If we want to be the greatest, we must become servant of all. The servant of all. And that's exactly what Christ did. He led an example. You know, you think of other kings and dignitaries and great men of the world. Many of them live a level so far above their own people. I can't help but think of Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea. That man, he consumes some of the finest wines and beers of the world. He's one of the biggest biggest purchasers of some of those fine wines. Yet his own people are dying of starvation by the hundreds. He brings upon them religious persecution. He's got labor camps set up where if you don't comply to the regime's standard, you're sent off to the labor camp and you die an excruciating death. They often work you to death, deprive you of the food and the necessities of life and work you till you die. That's how Kim Jong-un runs his country of North Korea. But Christ, the creator of the whole universe, this great cosmos that we see and marvel at, He came down to live among us, to be of no reputation and become a servant. Can't help but think of the time there before His betrayal, before His crucifixion, when He was there with the disciples in the upper room. He took on Him the, the, um, the servant mentality and came and washed the disciples' feet. A tremendous expression of love and humility there to the disciples. It would seem best that they would wash His feet because after all, He was their Lord and Master. Yet He became a servant. He took that humble task of washing their feet. Let this mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. As I think of Christ's life on this earth, I'm sure that He suffered many, many things. Just the fact that He was sinless in a a world where there was sin all around Him. I'm sure He received mockery and ridicule for being as He was, for being pure in heart. And often, I'm sure He probably spoke out against the naughty behavior of His playmates or friends He had that did things that were inappropriate. And He, I'm sure, bared many accusations and ridicules from from friends and people because of His willingness to live pleasing before God. So we can see here the the, the different steps He came down. So He was with the Father. And then it says here, He didn't think it was Robert, but equal with God, but then He made Himself of no reputation. That's one step down. Then He took upon Him the form of a servant. That's another step down. It wasn't just that he was of no reputation, but then he became a servant. And then he was made in the likeness of men. And then after that, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. And not just a certain death or a death that wasn't very disgraceful. He became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. We know that um, the death of the cross is one of the most disgraceful ways of dying. They would hang their, their people they were executing on the cross, and it was a disgrace. They were often not clothed properly. They were a spectacle to all who passed by. People would mock and ridicule them as they hung on the cross. 
And that is the death that Jesus was willing to go through. He humbled himself to that point, even the death of the cross. <clears throat> you know, humility is a very important thing in the life of the believer. As I was meditating upon this passage, I, I don't think that we can elevate humility too high. Humility in the life of the believer is so important. We don't have to feel threatened when some, someone comes and tries to show us an area of need in our lives because, after all, we're humble and we're willing to receive it. We're not going around trying to stir ourselves and our opinions over much because, hey, we're humble after all. We're not trying to be someone great. We're willing to have the mind of Christ and take the lower road. We're willing to acknowledge areas of need in our lives and acknowledge that we are nothing aside from the, from the power and grace of God. I can't help but think of those verses also and, um, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's go ahead and turn there. In verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, it says, For who maketh thee to differ from another? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou didst not receive it? <clears throat> so here we can see that the Corinthians, they were glory. They were puffed up one against another. They had pride in their lives, no doubt. And Paul is reminding them here that everything that you have is a gift from God. And so don't be puffed up. Don't think that you're someone great because everything you have is a gift. It says, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? So all that we have is a gift from God. Whatever abilities, whatever um, strengths we have is a gift from God. Let's not be exalted by that, but endeavor to walk in humility in, in those areas of our lives as well. <clears throat> So are we willing to take these steps down and humble ourselves? Or do we find it very difficult in our lives? When someone comes to us, bringing in a correction, speaking into our lives, do we find it very difficult to receive that? Are we willing to take these steps down lower and lower as Christ did and have the mind of Christ in our lives? We need to. Let's pray for the grace of God to do so because it's hard. It's hard to let our flesh just die, to crucify those desires and just die to that, that area of desire in our hearts. <clears throat> but let's seek to do that. And God will give us grace. If we make it a purpose and seek for His strength, He will enable us to do that. <clears throat> let's go on to verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name. Praise God. Now Christ is highly exalted. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now saints all across this globe are worshiping and adoring Him for the tremendous gift that was given unto us. There was beautiful fruit that came forth from His willingness to make these steps down, down, down to a lower level. And there will also be beautiful fruits in our lives if we're willing to take the, these steps to take the low road, to walk in humility, to crucify that pride in our hearts and lives. There will be beautiful fruit come forth to you. God can also exalt us in due time. 
given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So in conclusion here, I would like to just encourage us, as we look back over the first few verses, let's fulfill the joy of the Lord in our lives, of being of light-mindedness, to be of the light mind, to have the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And let's not forget that that is accomplished by humility and taking the low road, acknowledging that we are nothing apart from what Christ has done for us, that we're all a needy people, and whatever gifts and strengths that God has given us is a gift from Him, and that we should give all glory and honor back to God. Let's seek to esteem others better than ourselves. Let's not look at our own things only, but let's look also at the things of others. Let's endeavor to be a member of the body of Christ that builds others up, that fosters a spirit of love and unity in our midst. That's looking out for the needs of others, blessing and encouraging and building others up. And let's have the mind of Christ, this tremendous example that is set before us here of Jesus and His willingness to take these tremendous steps down, lower and lower and lower, to become the servant of all, to be tempted in all points like as we are, to associate Himself with humanity and all the trials and sufferings of this life in order that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest, as the Scripture says. And even though it calls sacrifice, and it may be difficult, and our, our reputation is at stake, let's not forget that Christ's reputation was obliterated. He lost everything in His coming down. He was mocked and ridiculed, spit upon. Yet the tremendous example of humility and love is so remarkable, especially in the, His trial and His crucifixion. Even when they were mocking and, and blaspheming him, yet he answered them not again, as the scripture says. <clears throat> and let's also remember that God is the one to give the grace and strength to do this. Let's look at our lives and see is there areas of need in any one of these particular things? If so, let's seek the Lord for grace to make the changes. <clears throat> and also realize that as Christ is high, was highly exalted because he was willing to take this. Uh, these steps of condescension, so Christ will also exalt us in due time. He will use us. His name will be glorified through us. The church of Jesus Christ will be established and built up by us. And we can be a contribution to Christ's kingdom going forth in the earth. This light going out to all nations. Let's never underestimate the, uh, the power of humility in our lives. And seek to always take that low road. For a closing verse, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Like uh, verse 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. 
hope none of us here are being resisted by God. It would be a terrible thing for, to have God resist us, to take his blessings from our lives. But the scripture is clear. If we are proud, God does resist us. He resists the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. I hope we all desire to be blessed with a continued measure of grace from God. Well, in order for us to receive that, we must walk in humility, as it says here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Amen. If we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, if we humble ourselves before our brother or our sisters, we walk in love and care one for another, God will exalt us and he will use us in a, in a mighty way in his kingdom. So I pray that can be an encouragement for all of us. I pray that um, the word of God can uh, have a good effect in all our hearts and that uh, we will take on the mind of Christ, seeking to build each other up, seeking to be a blessing, um, not looking at our own things, the things of others, and walking in humility before one another. And God will bless us and use us in his kingdom. And God bless you.